Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1012, it is a Wednesday, another foggy day here in the Twin Ports, 23rd day of August 2023. It's like somebody dropped mid-May weather into the end of August. I don't get it either, but we're glad to have you with us here on KDAL. Twins baseball, 1230 pregame, 1 o'clock first pitch from Milwaukee as they wrap up that season series. The Twins and Brewers, the border battle. Brewers won last night 7-3. Maida versus Burns this afternoon from Milwaukee as Milwaukee looks to split that four-game interleague season series. Got some volleyball to talk about later on. UWS head coach Lynn Diedrich as they get their season cranked up here next weekend. We'll have a conversation I taped with her yesterday. You'll hear that about 10.35 or so. Joining us off the top of the show and some news to talk about too, the commissioner of the NCHC is Heather Weems. Good morning. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's that time of year where we're well, on on campuses, they're already in the in the hunt, and and we're getting ready to to drop the puck here in probably the, about forty days or so. Have you had a good summer? I know you got boys to chase around, but have you had have you had some downtime <laughs> in there somewhere? Yes, it's been good. We've had a lot of baseball and some hockey going on. Uh, I'll actually be up in Grand Forks this weekend for a U fourteen uh, tournament for hockey. So. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's Minnesota summer is still fantastic. You know, nothing. You, you just can't beat it. A little hot at times this summer, but um, some great lake days and just some time with the kids. Yeah, the, the lake time is important. You got to get that in there somewhere. I, I remember bumping into Bob Motzko at, at a hockey tournament in the summer. <laughs> he was talking about, yeah, I got to get to the lake. I just want to go to the lake. That's summer's about the lake, basically. So. We- <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so first off, for you, how how did you feel year one went? Uh, you know, moving into the new gig as commissioner of this league. I think it went well. I mean, obviously there was a learning curve. I will tell you, I feel much more comfortable and confident here this summer than I probably was last summer. Uh, you know, in terms of having my arms wrapped a little bit around you know just the operations and and the cycle of of operations and how things work. Um, so overall, I was pleased. Um, I think we had some good movement this summer. Obviously, the Arizona State announcement, I think, is a positive for the MCHC and for our stability and, and just our, our opportunities going forward. Um, but I, I feel like we're in a good place um, and, and that we're poised you know, to continue into the second decade of MCHC hockey in a really nice place. I know that it, you, you probably had a lot of people that were saying, you know, giving you ideas and, and things that you had to make sure you'd be careful about. Is anything, did anything surprise you as you got your feet wet, as you, as you, you know, kind of wrap your head around everything that goes on in this league? Did, did anything surprise you, maybe challenge you more than you thought it would in year one? You know, the biggest change really is it was the job itself. So, you know, I spent 23 years on campus. And as I, you know, as I've told some folks that, you know, on campus, um, everything that you need in some ways is at your disposal. So, you know, as a, whether it was an associate athletics director or an athletics director, you have, if you have HR questions, there's an HR department. If you have finance questions, there's a finance department. If you have IT, you know, questions, there's an IT department. This is essentially like running a small business. Um, you know, we only have full th- three full-time staff. 
Um, and so like my, the breadth of the work um, and understanding and some of, you know, everything from accounting to some of the business affairs to learning about benefits plans and, and not just, you know, accepting my own benefits plan, but making sure that, you know, we're staff or, or that we're providing staff. So it was, it was an adjustment to understand how you use vendor services and um, uh, just how you operate something that's essentially a small business. Visiting with the commissioner of the NCHC, Heather Weems. So you've already alluded to the big story of the summer, and, and that is the, for the first time in, in the decade this league's been around, there is a change coming in membership, and it's an addition, the addition of Arizona State. The Sun Devils come in next year, 2024-25. If you could just take us through that process, and, and it, it sounds like it was a pretty well-received process for most of this, for this conference. Yeah, I really believe that it was. And, you know, obviously I was with the league as, as director of athletics at Sigma State. And, and in 2016, you know, we had the conversation and Arizona State applied. And I think at that point we made a good decision and just said, you know what, we're still pretty new. We need to get our feet underneath us. I think Arizona State at the time um, maybe didn't have all of the pieces that we needed, particularly around the facility. Um, and so at that point we just said, you know what, it's, it's probably not the best time. But as you well know, you know, the conversation kind of just lurked under the surface there for the, the next five or six years. And, and I think the timing was really good. They opened Mullet Arena last fall. I was able to go out there in January just to see the facility and how it's, it, it operates and just the feeling around it. Um, you know, we continued to have conversations throughout the spring down in Naples, um, you know, with the athletics directors. We, we got a little bit more into the weeds of, of how it would work. And, you know, I had been having conversations with some ASU representatives. Um, and, and obviously, Coach Powers was really excited and, and knew the importance of having a conference home. And so um, great credit to our athletics directors, administrators, um, and our presidents and chancellors or the board of directors. You know, once we got back from Naples, really moving forward relatively quickly in terms of getting an application from, from ASU, making sure that we vetted, uh, answered any questions, and then coming together and, and determining that, you know, for the sake of, of the league and, and stability going forward at a time where college athletics is a, a little bit um, chaotic, um, you know, in terms of having a destination, in terms of ha- adding another strong program um, that really believes in, in hockey uh, as a national competitor, uh, it just was the right time, and it all came together really smoothly. And everything, almost everything that I saw online and, and via social media was really positive. I know that a lot of our alumni and fan bases um, will probably be excited to, to get into Tempe and in the winter months at some point. Yeah, broadcasters as well should point that out and make very clear where <laughs> we are all uh... – I, I don't even have to ask him. I, the, the, beat, the beat writer I know is excited here. I, I know I'm excited, and I'm sure everybody else around the league is as well uh, at the prospect of a, of a trip once in a while to Arizona during the winter months here in Minnesota. It's not the worst thing in the world. You mentioned, Heather, you've been an administrator at the college level for a very long time. You know that side of it very, very well. What were the, the questions that you felt Arizona State needed to answer that they were able to answer this time around? The biggest was around the facility. Um, so it, it, when they first had applied, you know, five or six years ago, um, they were playing in Oceanside Arena, uh, which I did have an opportunity as they did at St. Cloud State to go uh, and see when, when uh, the Huskies played down there at one point. And, um, you know, it was less than a thousand seat uh, aged arena. And, and, you know, we pride ourselves on, on uh, as a league, on being a premier destination for people. 
um, and being a place that um, holds its hockey programs in high esteem, uh, not just on campus, but really within the communities. And at the time, their, their facility probably didn't quite rise to the standard. I think we were also still waiting to see a little bit about their investment and how they were going to, to look at hockey. Um, obviously, you know, we talk about and one of our founding principles was the folks or the, the member institutions that have been part of the MHC all identify hockey as an important and critical part of their campus fabric. And so, you know, as, as Arizona State elevated and they did it very quickly and they did it in a really nice way. But I think that just um, that demonstrating the financial investment, the human resource investment, the facilities investment, and that they were here to play and that, you know, hockey was going to be something that, that they took great pride in and, and really led their institution. I think that became very clear. And so um, they fit right in. Um, you know, we want our teams to be nationally competitive. We, we want our, our, I mean, we call it the gauntlet, but we, we, we think that the gauntlet that our teams go through um, every year as they go through regular season prepares them for the postseason. And I think that Arizona State fits very well um, amongst all of our other programs. Talking to the commissioner of the NCHC, Heather Weems, you said you had a chance to visit Mullet. I have heard nothing but good things about this place. I can only imagine you're going to have good things to say, but i got to ask the question. Tell me about you know being at Mullet Arena and seeing that place for the first time. You know, the cool part, and, and again, you, you just have the weather opportunities that, you know, like I said, I was out there in January, and they've got, you know, a nice light, I won't say courtyard because it's, it's concrete, but, you know, a, a nice entryway. Um, there's a place where you can create some excitement as people come into the building. They did a really nice job, um, I think, in terms of, uh, of fan engagement, uh, in terms of a nice balance of club opportunities, of um, suites, they've got some loges uh, on the on the main concourse that I think provide another opportunity. The entire, I think it's the west side, but I could be wrong on my directions, uh, is reserved for students, and they just have a really easy flowing, nice feel. Um, and, and and it's a loud um, it's a loud building like it, it's it's just over five thousand uh, a really nice size and there's great energy in it and you know obviously the Coyotes have been playing there as well so. It, it, it's a it's a high level facility, but without being over the top. So you know, I, I thought that what they put into um, the player level in terms of the locker rooms and the spaces and things like that just checks off all the boxes for what you need to recruit uh, and retain high level students. There are two big time front facing questions that get asked when when they change like this happens and a league expands. The first question is the schedule format. You guys answered that a while back. And, and grouping teams in, in in pairs of three, they all make sense. Denver's with CC and Arizona State. Western's got Omaha and Miami and UMD's got North Dakota and St. Cloud State. That all comes together pretty easily. The schedule format has been put together starting in 2024-25. The other question was answered this morning, and that's the playoff format. You guys announced this morning that all nine teams will play in the 2025 NCHC postseason with a single game play in the number eight and number nine teams playing at the site of the number one seed the Wednesday night before the playoffs start, then four quarterfinal series starting that Friday night, best of three, and the frozen face-off the following weekend. Tell me about that process and putting this together. It's a unique format that I think is kind of fun yeah you know um we we did a lot of outreach to our coaches and to our athletic administrators had a lot of conversation about what was important to us 
And certainly in in the current um, environment in which we're in with the transfer portal and everything else, ensuring that all of our teams um, have access to the tournament and have something to play for was really important to our members and, and particularly to our coaches. Um, that it was important that, um, you know, and, and particularly how strong we can be in any given year from one to nine in some cases. I mean, you saw Colorado College last year really make a push at the end and ended up in the in the championship game of the frozen faceoff. Um, and so just ensuring that all of our teams would have an opportunity to get into the playoff and, and you know, work towards that AQ was really important. So um, it, logistically, you know, we had to talk through some of the challenges, the turnaround from the last regular season game uh, to the to faceoff is relatively quick, um, you know, in terms of getting uh, teams um, to locations particularly for those quarterfinals, can be challenging. And so that's where it really came that we needed to host the, the play-in game um, at the one seed because if you think about playing on Saturday night, you know, last regular season game, traveling home on Sunday, um, that gives us a couple of days to get them either on a bus or a plane to get to that um, site. And then whoever advances eight or nine seed is already in the place of, of where they'll play that quarterfinals. So we understand a little bit that, that maybe the attendance won't be as strong in that 8-9 game, but we think from a logistics and from a student-athlete experience um, and welfare perspective, it just makes the travel a little bit easier. It makes the logistics a little bit easier, and it, and it puts um, you know, that advancing team in a better position uh, to, because they go up you know, two days later against the number one seed, puts them in a better position to compete. Uh, NCAC Commissioner Heather Weems, our guest. So was it a priority also to keep this tournament over two weekends? We see a lot of conferences playing three weekend conference tournaments at this point, but yours is only two. Did you want, was that a big point to keep it that way? I think, um, you know, we're, we have our contracts through the Excel Center through the 2024-25 year, and that's the format right now that we have um, with our agreement with the Excel. So I'm not going to say that we won't uh, have additional conversation about what the, the tournament format may look at, at but for the 2024-25 year, we wanted to be in a place where we could talk about um, and our teams could plan and get their schedules done um, given, you know, that the, t- that the clock is ticking. That's fair enough. NCHChockey.com's got all the details on that postseason format for 2025 just announced this morning. As we look ahead to 2023-24 here, you know, what's your excitement level? Like you said, your comfort level is it's high. It's going to be naturally higher because you've got the year in the job. How excited are you for now for year two and, and to get things started here next month at Media Day? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be terrific. I, I think that, you know, as I look across our teams, um, we've got a lot of parity. We've got, uh, it, it's another great year. You know, now with the transfer portal, there's some new faces that are going to show up on some of our rosters. Um, but I really think, and, and in talking with our coaches, I think a number of them feel really good about um, their rosters coming into the season. I think they they feel like they're developing and, and moving in a good direction. You know, obviously we have uh, the programs that have, have uh, historically been top of the league, your, your North Dakota's Denver's, uh, St. Cloud State, Duluth, um, you know, who every year reload in a little bit different sort of way. Um, but, you know, I think that Colorado College has done a fantastic job and, it, and it's really moving in a good direction. Western Michigan has inserted itself. Pat Fersweiler has done a fantastic job up there. Um, I just think we're in a really good position. And, and so, you know, I think what you know every single year in the NCHC is once you drop the puck, there's going to be excitement. There's going to be, you know, um, some hard non-conference games. 
uh, where we're bringing in some great rivalries and some, some traditional powers um, or, or visiting them, you know, out east. Um, and, and I just think that, again, our, our programs, and, and I give credit to the coaches, you know, I'm a big believer as a, as a former um, campus administrator, I, I'm a big believer, believer that the success of the program starts uh, with the head coach. And, and I look across our ranks um, and our head coaching ranks, and, and, you know, I don't think you can get much better. Just the quality and, and the understanding and, and the commitment to students and uh, not just to their play but to their development as people. I think that the NCHC has an incredible environment for creating success, not just in college, but really positioning these kids, whether they go on to play professional hockey or whether they go on to work professionally in something else. I think they do such a, a fantastic job. Uh, of keeping the focus on the kids and their development. And finally, uh, this has been another, you know, one of those summers, a lot of upheaval in college sports. We've seen the Big Ten expand yet again. They're going to go to 18 teams, which seems ridiculous, starting next fall. The NCHC is a single-sport conference, and, and we've talked before about the challenges for single-sport conferences in this kind of changing environment. What do you think the future holds here, or do, is it way too early to tell that? Kind of seeing where where the NCH or where the NCAA goes. I mean, there's there's plenty of conversations. Um, Charlie K- Baker came in as as president last spring and is really trying to wrap his arms around um, how we go forward. I mean, the reality is college athletics has changed, and and you know I can say honestly that in, in some cases it's changed for the better. I think in some other cases uh, we were maybe a little bit slow in responding and and. Um, and, and so things got maybe a little rogue in some areas, and I think uh, President Baker is trying to wrap his arms around NIL and putting more competitive equity between that and, and making sure that from state to state we've got some, some equity. In terms of single sport conferences, you know, I, I, I honestly go back and forth a little bit. Um, I, I think what's going to be important as we go forward is uh, how do we continue to push p- position hockey, men's and women's hockey both, in that national spotlight? I think that that we need to continue to think about how we grow the game, how we grow our fans, how we grow our visibility. And um, the question will be, are we better able to do that from a multi-sport perspective, or do we have um, access or can we create some access within the NCAA and some visibility as single sport conferences? Because literally 10 of the 11 conferences and women's um, are single sport. It's really only the big 10. Um, that, that functions as a multi-sport. So what's in the best interest of our programs and gives us the most ability and autonomy to, to create our future in a positive sort of way? And, and I think, you know, right now, I, I would say that, that to, for us as a league, it's important to continue to build that voice and figure out the best pathway um, because there are some opportunities, and particularly, you know, as I look and, and you see that um, the NCAA is going to debundle some of the um, television opportunities that used to be usurped just through um, the, the CBS deal with men's basketball. I think, again, how do we position hockey to, to be more visible and, and to begin to um, expand our market, particularly as we see the, the market expand in, in, in youth hockey um, and, you know, the Phoenix market, the L.A. market, Seattle, uh, Dallas, Florida, you know, we need to make sure that we're visible at a higher level. Heather, thank you so much for doing this. I'll see you next month at Media Day, all right? Sounds good. Take care. All right, you too. Heather Weems, Commissioner of the NCHC. Again, nine, at, nine versus eight at the site of the one. 
the Wednesday before the quarterfinal series. That'll be the format for the 2025 NCHC Tournament. 10.32, we are way late. Gopher Update, then more to come. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. This is the Golden Gopher Daily Update. I'm Mike Grimm. Today we continue with our 14-team Big Ten preview sponsored by Lando Lakes. We'll look at the Maryland Terrapins when we come back. There is a land where anything is possible, where soul, soil, and science work wonders every day. A land that values bravery and curiosity, where the truth is the official language. And here, we put our all into feeding human progress, to making a positive impact. This is a land of honesty, of optimism, of possibilities. This is Land O Lakes, proud sponsor of Gopher Athletics. Tanner Hoops previews the Maryland Terrapins. Maryland is coming off an 8-5 season in 2023, and head coach Mike Loxley is proud of the culture that's been built inside the Terrapins locker room. One of the things that I feel like we do a great job at Maryland is we want to give our players the best college experience they can get. One of the biggest goals for Loxley in 2023 is to not let outside sources define what makes Maryland successful. When you put yourself in a position where we've laid the foundation, um, we, we don't feel the external pressure. I think any pressure that we have to deal with as a, a, a football program or a football family, it starts from within. And for us, uh, every year we have to start from ground zero. There's no building on what you did a year ago. Uh, you know. What happened a year ago at being 8-5 and five has no bearing on how we'll play this year. The Terrapins open the 2023 season at home September 2nd against Towson. And Maryland will not play the Golden Gophers during the 2023 regular season. Tomorrow, we'll preview the 2023 Indiana Hoosiers on the Golden Gopher Daily Update. It's sponsored by Lando Lakes, longtime supporter of Golden Gopher football. I'm Mike Graham. Take us with you on your mobile with the free KDAL radio app. It's all I listen to. Right on way late. Let's get to the news here. Then UWS volleyball coach Lynn Diedrich taped with her yesterday. You'll hear that after a news update at 1036 on KDAL. KDAL. That's pretty much my news. Streaming live on the KDAL mobile app. 1039 tomorrow on the radio show. We will hear from UMD Volleyball Head Coach Jim Booz as they get ready for the start of their season next weekend. They are eighth in the preseason Division II poll from the American Volleyball Coaches Association. So that's on tomorrow's show. Then Friday, UWS men's soccer coach Joe Mooney, St. Scholastica women's soccer coach Dave Riles, both with us on Friday. Then I am off next week. And Dave will have some best of stuff for you, including a lot of the fall sports coaches that we've heard from here and uh, some other uh, college football-centric stuff for you on the radio show with Dave next week. I'll be back on Tuesday, September 5th. We are action-packed throughout the month of September. All right, so I had a chance yesterday to visit with the uh, longtime volleyball head coach at UWS, Lynn Diedrich. Get you that conversation for you now. We approach 1040 here on KDAL. Before we can look at 2023, uh, reflecting on 2022, 11-3 in the UMAC, lost to Northwestern in the tournament championship, 16-13 and 13 overall. You, your thoughts on, on a pretty decent fall for your Yellow Jacket team? Yeah, no, we came out. Um, we had a great year. Uh, we had some ups and downs in the beginning and then kind of tried to put it together in the end and uh, finished real strong, um, coming out number two there in the playoffs and then going on to the championship to face Northwestern who ended up to be in the final four 
um, in the national tournament. Very competitive finish for us and a strong place. So I want to talk about that, you know, Northwestern here in a second and the UMAC in general. But, but you know, looking back at that semifinal match against Minnesota Morris, dramatic five sets. Not only does it go five sets, but you need an extra point in the fifth set to win it 16-14 to 14 to advance. Memories of that night, that had to have been just an outstanding match for the people that were there to see it. Yeah, it was. It was uh, a lot of excitement in the air and the crowd and everything. I mean, you could just feel the gym vibrating and things like that. It was Point for point, um, you know, kept going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I don't recall if we had the advantage um, all the time or if we had to come from behind at all, but it was it was certainly back and forth. Um, and, you know, to get that game finish, uh, winning 16-14 in set five was uh, just so much excitement in the gym. I mean, kids running all over everywhere and, and things. I hope that's a situation that we can experience again because our kids, it's it's a lifetime memory. Uh, last season, Alexi Prid started all 29 of your matches. Uh, she had, let's see here, 343 kills. That was second in the UMAC and first on the team by quite a bit. 328 digs was second on the team. 21 blocks. She scored at least 10 kills in 23 of 29 matches. She posted 14 double doubles for a career total of 33. Is there anything she didn't do for you last season? Um, she didn't set. <laughs> <laughs> well, you asked. Um, no, that's no. fair. She was a great. She was a great addition to our team and program. Um, played for us for the past three years and and stuff, and has graduated and going on now. Um, this semester, I believe she's going to be in her master's program at Oxford. Um, so oh super excited for her and her future. And uh, I know she wants to be like a writer and and um, things like that. So I'm super excited for her and her future. But glad we had the opportunities to. Um, you know, work with her through her three years while she was here. Uh, you know, how good was your attack last season? And it wasn't just her. You, you, you had other players that were a part of it, but it was a very strong attack throughout the season. Yeah, I think we depended on, you know, different people and different matchups to step up. And I think that's going to be the key for us this season as well as we're going to have to try to determine who wants the ball, who wants to become that go-to player. Lex always wanted the ball. Um, and that's why she, you know, got the ball a ton of times as well and was able to finish. And so for us, you know, in the upcoming season, we, it will be to figure out who we can get the ball to and who can finish for us and who can score the points, and that might determine um, how many opportunities they have. UW West Volleyball Coach Lynn Diedrich, our guest. We never, you know, coaches, we never, you know, talk about you replace one player with another player. You know, it's always kind of an aggregate, as they said in Moneyball, that you, that you, you're, this person does this much more, this person does this much more. You know, who do you think can step up and, and fill that void? Because that it certainly is a lot of impact that, that she leaves in, uh, on this team. Yeah, well, we've got some returnees, I think, that can step up and, um, and, potentially fill that role we also did bring in a couple of uh, transfer students that i think with their experience might be in a position to help step up and and fill that role as well with uh two years of uh experience under their belt or three years so we 
Uh, we're fortunate to get in Larissa Fossum, a graduate student who was at Northland for the last three seasons, who was one of their top outside hitters um, and also played some middle for them, um, transfer in and into one of our graduate programs here. So we're excited to have her aboard here uh, this fall. And then we also have another um, transfer from Century College in Emma Crandall, who um, Century College went to the national tournament last year, and I think they were either third or consolation championship um, team. So players, I think, um, could show us some good minutes. Um, you know, it's just about trying to figure it out and, you know, work on the things that we have They're going in a new system and a new coach and things like that, and the expectations might be a little bit different. So you have to play, you know, uh, to the your abilities, and, and then again, we're looking for people that can finish for us. When you look at transfers, the, the word transfer has become such a buzzword in college sports here the last uh, few years, going back to really COVID, and, and of course now at, at the higher levels, they're, they're the one-time transfer in basically every sport. How has that changed things at your level, or has it changed at all the, the way the transfers work in college? Um, I don't feel like it's really changed too much at Division Three, although we do see um, one or two kids that are attempting to enter into the transfer portal or whatever, feeling like they might have a better opportunity to go someplace else and play at an additional school or something. And and the reality is, is they, you know, maybe go and they transfer, but maybe found out that it wasn't greener on the other side and that they were given lots of opportunities to compete and play and things here. It's just maybe their mindset wasn't in the right spot when they were, were trying to figure things out. And, you know, um, as far as Division One and Two, though, I can see where that is a nightmare, you know, um, especially in the fact that there is no really no waiting period for a lot of those kids. And, you know, you can be a starter on a team as a coach. You're not knowing that your starter is not in a happy place or whatever. And then all of a sudden they're transferring and, and, you know, they're a scholarship kid, but it doesn't matter because they're transferring to the next school that's going to give them the scholarship. So that's a coach's nightmare, I think. It certainly feels that way sometimes, certainly. From talking to them, I don't think a lot of them would disagree with you. Yellow Jacket volleyball coach Lynn Diedrich, our guest. As you look ahead to 2023, and you had a lot of newcomers last year, how did they integrate your young players in terms of trying to take that next step and make an impact at the college level? Yeah, I mean, we had some key kids come in last year and make, um, you know, stellar contributions. Uh, we had Colleen Claude come in as a setter, um, and she started in the majority of our games. Um, she did a great job. We also had some other players, uh, Ella Kappas, who was um, a middle that stepped up when one of our other uh, players was out with injury and, and things like that. Even um, freshman Marina Sager, who was from Stillwater, um, stepped up and played some right side hitter positions for us. And, um, you know, we had different players just, you know, come in ready to go. And I, and I see that same trend with our, our incoming freshman class this year. Um, I'm really excited about um, them as well. Right now we have uh, Lindsay Racine, who is a uh, libero defensive player from Grand Rapids. Um, we also have Kate Jamsard, a middle um, outside from Grand Rapids. Both of those two are doing a great job. And we have uh, another freshman um, 
middle, Sydney Smith, who was from uh, Milltown, Wisconsin, Unity High School, that played with both Colleen and uh, with Sydney Bader on our team. And so there's a combination there that, you know, those kids know what it takes. Uh, and back in the day uh, when, when Colleen was a senior, that would have been two seasons ago, I was at that championship game when watching those girls, um, you know, make it to their first state tournament um, game. So, you know, kind of some memories there for me as a coach, looking back at these kids and then kind of all coming to fruition and getting them to come to campus and stuff here and, and playing for me. So I'm super excited about, you know, um, their years ahead. How important are they? We're, we're talking to a UW Superior Volleyball Coach Lynn Deidre, a couple more here. How important are these preseason reps for somebody like Colleen Claude? You've got some different attacking players. Alexi Prid's no longer around, and, and she's the kind of the, been the quarterback of the offense, the setter. We've talked about this a lot in volleyball on this radio show. People should be familiar by now. That's a really important position. How important are the preseason reps for her in, in getting acclimated and maybe some new people she's setting up? Yeah, no, it's critical. And, you know, uh, Having been away, you know, throughout the summer and things like that, I don't know how many opportunities our players have to get to the gym and, and stuff to really get up true reps. So, you know, just starting on Saturday here, we we're getting up, you know, a lot of a lot of repetitions to certain zones and, and just kind of honing in on trying to bring it all back. But it's kind of like riding a bike for these kids, you know, when you've done it, um, you don't forget and, and it comes back to you and things like that. But it does take practice, and it takes a lot of practice to be good at it. And, you know, I feel like uh, these ladies are doing what it takes. They're doing what's asked of them, and they're putting in the time to, to be good and get better. And so that's, that's all I can ask as a coach and, and stuff. And um, it's really fun to see them grow and, and things on the court. You're going to play three straight weekend tournaments, the first of those, the Ripon College Classic, next weekend, September 1st and 2nd in Ripon, Wisconsin. Then you host the Stinger Classic and Mortarelli Gym on September 8th and 9th in Superior, and you'll play at Eau Claire's tournament the weekend after that. So 12 matches over three weekends before you get into league play September 19th. What do you hope to learn about your group over those 12 matches before UMAC play begins in Ashland? Well, I'm hoping that I can look to put in a variety of different lineups to really see, give kids an opportunity to see what they can do. Um, it's one thing to be, you know, here every day at practice with them and things like that, but putting them into a game situation, seeing which kids will rise up to the occasion, which kids can really, um, you know, put the ball away, finish, um, execute. It's not always about being the best skilled or the highest skill level. It's about being able to play next to the girl next to you and having that chemistry on the court. And when you have that dig or die mentality and going after balls and making great plays and things like that, finding ways to kill, um, you know, you can have some pretty good, um, chemistry going on and that's kind of what I'm looking at is trying to figure out ways to you know see a lot of kids see what they can do and then from there hoping to go into the you know conference um, tournament where we've got our we've solidified our, our lineup. Jackets open next weekend four matches over two days in Ripon Friday and Saturday 1051 Gonna wrap things up on a Wednesday in a moment Bruce Siski show 610 FM 103.9 KDAL 610 KDAL News, Weather, Sports. 10.59 as we wrap things up on this Wednesday morning. We're back tomorrow as we chat with UMV Volleyball Head Coach Jim Booz. Get a season preview from him. We chatted Monday. You'll hear that conversation off the top of the radio show tomorrow. 
Don't forget Twins Brewers from AmFam Field in Milwaukee on a hot afternoon. Pre-game 12.30. Maida versus Burns at 1 o'clock. That is preceded by 90 minutes of Brad with Kenny. Sound off after the news. Have a great Wednesday. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. Hit us up on Twitter at Bruce Siski Show and let us know what you think. No. Yes. No. Well. No, I I crossed my mind. Visit KDAL610.com to podcast today's show anytime. What'd you say? Listen to shows on demand and download for free. You can also subscribe via Spotify or your favorite podcast app. This has been the Bruce Siski Show. CBS News is up next. This is your home for the Minnesota Timberwolves. 103.9 W280 FDFM and AM 610 KDAL Duluth Superior.